Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I, I, I'm, I'm terribly excited because we get to go ahead and talk about uh, the national parks uh, for yet another episode. Yes, uh, we li- do. Yeah, listeners uh, uh, joining us uh, uh, for uh, uh, a second episode um, is our good friend, Eric Johnson, uh, who, who also works at the library. Um, and uh, uh, in a previous episode, um, uh, we kind of sort of touched upon how the uh, national parks uh, generally can conceptualized arose here in the United States. Uh, we talked about the history of, of, of how uh, both uh, presidents and finally the United States Congress uh, went ahead and uh, created, if you will, a legal structure and legal authority. Um, and then today, um, uh, we're going to segue into uh, a dis- Yes. Wait, before we talk about going to an actual park, which I, I do want to talk about, I have a question for you, though, Eric, about hmm. something you talked about in the last episode. Sure. Which is not all parks are managed by the National Park Service, and not all parks are national park like okay <laughs> so my question is terribly confused but you mentioned the marine park which is actually some like you said was the size of alaska which i'm having been to alaska that's big that's really Very really large. big right and so right. but it's not managed by the national park service right it's managed you said by NOAA. right yeah NOAA and the fish and wildlife service Interesting. Oh, so, okay. So US. is that a, like, are the shore parks sometimes managed by fish and wildlife because that's who's, like, that's what's affected? Is that how? Yeah, it's, I mean. Or the, is it just random? It is, and in a way you could say it's random. You know, the, the national parks, national parks are national park service. These other units or other national lands which may have the same names, you know, that's where it becomes confusing, can sometimes be managed by other departments. Um, okay. And, and, you know, it all has to do with like the specifics of what gave rise to this particular legislation to start this particular, to protect this particular area, you know, sort of generally like whoever used to manage it kind of, or, you know, approximately used to manage it, kind of became the manager when it became a formalized area. That's a loose way to look at it. Okay. Um, you know, mostly now as things become parks, you know, they are just very clearly designated or parks or other national park service managed units like national historic sites or monuments or memorials. Um, you know, it's all, that's all just spelled out in the enabling legislation. Okay. So now yeah. we've gotten to the point where we do actually designate who's going to be so what we're talking about is a historical problem, not a current problem. It's sort of a uh, problem uh, has been sort of cleared up with now we put a person in charge or a, an agency rather, not a person, right. an right. agency in charge of the thing right. that we're building or, or 
creating or recognizing or right. what have yeah, you. Yeah, there are, you know, national forests, you know, as another form of public land, which is not managed by the Park Service at all, typically. I mean, again, there's sometimes partnerships, which again, make it more confusing. <laughs> but, so you know, who manages the national forest? The Department of Forestry. Is that the... Okay. Okay. I start getting confused about what's a Virginia department versus a national department. And that's well, the other thing I was going to ask is state parks versus national parks, right? Because you said Yosemite, which, mm -hmm. by the way, I grew up thinking was called Yosemite until somebody pronounced it properly for me, um, which just goes to show you that <laughs> syllables, what can you do with them? Well, it just goes to show you're a reader. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, the that was managed you said by california like the united states said that's a great park here california take care of our park for us and california was like oh man because i'm sure there was money involved right in having to do that right which so <laughs> like if they said we've decided to declare richmond the entirety of richmond a national monument which i don't know we the drama of that would be untold but let's just say that they decided to do that and then they said here virginia you take care of it virginia would then have to pay for the maintenance of it right is that that would be your unfunded mandate right okay <laughs> yeah so, i mean that is very unlikely at this point because of course okay. now it is more of a you know they would build it into the legislation sort of building it but even that okay. isn't always the case I mean, a lot of times things get designated you know as like there are five or six things that are sort of currently in the works that say this will become a park unit of some nature once somebody donates the land or you know once we get sort of enough support that we have enough money given you know because historically some parks came through donations and so it didn't cost the federal government anything you know oh okay until they took over so, management of it and but then subsequently we started acquiring kind of property i mean and often it is still a basically a donation or some agreement with a you know a nonprofit that has obtained acreage and okay. transfers it to the federal or a or a rich person says right. i have bought this i have bought this arch I would like for you to keep an eye on it for me. Right. Okay. <laughs> so but then state parks are different. They're not part of this system, right? Correct. Right, right. State parks are managed by individual states. A similar kind of idea, right? You know, the state has decided actually Natural Bridge has its own really interesting history because it was private for a very long time. The owners would sell so Natural Bridge here in Virginia um, uh, near uh, in the Shenandoah Valley. You know, it was managed privately as just an attraction. People would pay tickets, you know, pay to, to go visit it. And um, in the past few years, there has been movement to try to turn it into a state park, which now it is owned technically by a nonprofit organization, but managed by the Virginia State Parks. So it's another, okay. you know, and eventually I think the hope and plan is to just shift it entirely over to like. So Virginia will be the owner and will also be able to run it. So it gets complicated. It does, yeah. Well, it, 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 and also too, you know, Eric just mentioned nonprofits may own land that are sites, you know, tourist sites or attraction sites. And you might go ahead and think, well, why don't they turn that land over to either the state, a state government or the federal government? But 
nonprofits will at times be skeptical of how well managed the land would be if it was turned over to the government, right? right. So, right. I mean, you got that kind of battle. You know, Nia, you know, to your question to Eric about, well, which part of the federal government manages a particular piece of land? Okay, a lot of that is historical, as Eric mentioned, but also it reflects bureaucratic battles, right? Okay, so, you know, if you're talking about a national battlefield, okay, historically, as Eric pointed out, national battlefield sites were managed by first the Department of the War, but then the Defense Department, okay? Well, you might wonder, well, why would, you know, DOD, the Department of Defense, want to manage, okay, a battlefield site? Well, they may not want to, but what comes with managing the site? Money from Congress. Right? Oh, I see. Right. Okay, so now you're talking about your, your garden variety bureaucratic, you know, turf battle, right? Okay. Just happens to be over a piece of of you know, land. It, it was it, a battlefield, or maybe a cemetery, or maybe. Yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, in, in, and and I know where we're only going to tangentially touch upon this, but you know, one of the battles that have been fought for years about national parklands is the extent to which. Okay, the National Park Service specifically, but the Interior Department broadly will allow commercial and recreational activities on national park lands, right? right. Because well, and we can't even get into the whole ranching question and the water question because well, wow, but, but, the drama out west that that brings. Well, it, and, and unbelievable. And, People in the east don't really understand. Yeah, they, what, the, the, what those battles are about, I think. And, and, and also, too, because in our most previous episode, we talked about the origin, you know, the, 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 the creation of the National Park Service, you know, their culture is to go ahead and preserve land so that others can view and enjoy it, okay, which is not the same thing as the culture and values that you might see in commercial enterprises, in capitalism writ large. So we have this tension, right? Right. Okay. So some of the most, you know, pitched battles about whether or not a beautiful scenic piece of land should be labeled a park, okay, is about, well, what kinds of restrictions will be placed on X activities, whether exactly. it be ranching, will there be grazing rights, will there be water rights, rights, diversion, you know, rec yeah. you know, recreation, you know, activities. Yeah, can people camp on it? Okay, or use, you know, uh, uh, you know, ATVs on it. Okay, yeah. altering vehicles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and again, for those of us here in the east, okay we're probably not as familiar with those kind of battles. Yeah, hardly ever do we graze things on the Eastern <laughs> National yeah, Park. Right? We okay. don't, I mean, generally we don't because we don't have a lot of grazing here. We have pig farms in the East, but we don't generally have a huge amount of grazing, at least not in the level. I think when people, people in the East don't realize when people talk about grazing out West and they talk about a head of cattle, what they mean are thousands of cows in one spot, like not 
six cows like we have here. If six cows went to Acadia National Park and ate for five days, nobody would notice. Like there just wouldn't even be a thing. But, you know, a thousand cows for six days, they're going to clear off a pretty nice chunk of change land-wise. And then who's going to recover the land? Like who's going right. to fix it or heal it or whatever? Yeah. And, and I know my background is a political side, so I oftentimes see politics where there's not politics. But what we're talking about here is, you know, politics 101. Yeah. Who gets what, right. when, and how, yeah. right? Okay? Right. Because land is a resource, okay? Right. And, and how, you, how you define it as a resource, okay, um, is where we see politics, right? Right. <laughs> okay? Right where states say, no, 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 no. Okay, uh, Mr. or Madam President, we don't want you to designate this land as a national park, okay? And, and some people are like, well, why don't they? Right, well, but the commercial interests in their right. state are political. Yeah, right, I they mean, come back and say, you know, you, hey. You go to Texas and tell ranchers they can't do something. It was it was nice knowing you, but you won't be a politician anymore, and you may not be alive anymore. Like, that's not a thing. Well, and then you get the whole pipelines and the land under pipelines. Well, I mean, we talked about Yosemite a number number of times. You tell Southern Californians, okay, that the federal government is going to restrict water that flows from Yosemite to parts in Southern California. Okay, they will push back. Right? right, they will push back, okay, um, and push back hard. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, their livelihood. Yeah, there was. I mean, the 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 sort of first big environmental fight was about a dam that was going to go into Yosemite, you know, into that park, so the Hetch Hetchy Valley, right? Like because Southern California really needed a water reservoir, and like that's a perfect, like it's geologically perfect, but you know, there was big conflict with people who want to preserve it. In this case, preservation lost, but I, I was going to say, didn't they go ahead and flood yeah. whatever that? They yeah. did go ahead and flood whatever that yeah. was to make the yep. to yep. make yep. the dam, and then you get things like the Hoover, which is in the middle of nowhere and dams up, right. like and makes cities in the desert that shouldn't exist. But that's a whole separate issue. Um, so, so if people wanted to go to a park and there's a park near them, right? That it may be a state park it may be a national park is there a is there a difference in how you go to them <laughs> i mean other than your muffin stamps mentioned earlier i was going to say sometimes uh, like for car... competitive purposes <laughs> yeah it, I mean, there's a difference but for non competitive for people who aren't in your family and aren't competing for the trophy right, right, who ignore state parks because who cares you don't get a stamp for that <laughs> <laughs> actually you can like there are of course park like state park passport but are there okay that's getting yes into there the are yeah 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 okay in fact so, i got an annual pass for my 50th birthday from my wife to yay! all of the state parks so <laughs> for all of the virginia okay the wait virginia so, state parks. so you just said pass so does it cost money to go to the national parks so to the it, state parks to any of the parks yes basically yes and or yes and no depending so yeah the the national parks you know since that's our focus right national parks national park units again you know 423 national park units which are all kinds of different sites run by the park service you know versus 63 national parks 
anyway, there's just over a hundred of them do charge entrance fees. Um, usually like they'll do it, take a couple different approaches. And usually it's like the bigger, bigger parks are doing that, like small local national park things like here in Richmond, we have the Maggie Walker historic house. You know, I don't believe there's an entrance fee for Maggie Walker. It's, you know, kind of a, a relatively local, small kind of thing. Um, but generally speaking, when you're going to these bigger sites, they'll do either a carload, like just, you know, a per car fee. Um, and those are oh, usually- Oh, which is great if you like, take a van and you're going across country. Right, right, exactly. Cram 30 um, people in there and you can all go in for, right, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> so- you know, they'll do a, a per person fee, um, oh, okay. you know, if, if you're like an individual or on a motorcycle, but yeah, it's usually basically 20 to $30 per vehicle or 10 to $15 per person. Um, but there are also annual passes that somebody could buy that if you're planning on hitting a lot of sites, especially if you're going out West where a lot of the, the sort of, you know, every park has its entrance fee quickly becomes a pretty reasonable way to go. So, um, okay. you know, if you are in your minivan with your family and going out to the five big national parks in Utah, like, you know, and it's 30 bucks a pop, there's $150, or I could spend $80 and get an annual pass. Um, so, okay, so I'll put that on the research guide. Can you, you can help me find the link for that? Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's online. a link, there's actually several different kinds of passes, some of which are free, depending, so military people, can have an annual free pass. And I oh, love okay. the fact that they include Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, and Space Force <gasps> on their list. I was like, that's you know the that I'm going to be the librarian. I'm going to be the librarian for the Space Force. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah, that's my total. That's my total. Eric, Eric, you, Eric, you just made me his day. Oh, man. <laughs> the inclusion of the Space Force. Okay. So, um, Okay, and then just as an aside for people who are looking at more of a local thing, a lot sure. of their state parks are free. Yeah, and you can state walk parks... in them. You can some of them you can camp in. I know in Virginia right. we have like Pocahontas right. where you can camp, and... but then we have like city parks where you really can't camp, and the police will tell you not to. Right. But, but 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 Eric, this is a huge issue in regard in regards to um, uh, the attendance at parks, right? Because there are people who are even park supporters who are like, this is uh, a, it's a public good, but it's also a private good, okay? And the park should be able to generate uh, 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 a certain amount, a certain percentage, okay, of income every year to offset the cost of managing them. Right. 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 That is part of its budgeting, right? Is taking into consideration, you know, yes, there are congressional appropriations for the park service as part of the Department of the Interior's budget. And I want to say, and I should double check, I apologize. I think it's like about 70% of parks annual kind of cost is covered by a congressional appropriation. And then the rest are entrance fees, restaurant sales, um, shopping <laughs> at the park, you know, because oh, somebody- gift shop? Have, Hello. Gift shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go, if you get out of Yellowstone National Park without buying something, <laughs> you you should get some sort of award because I haven't really been there. It, I, like, yeah, I don't. It's <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so as a, so for the most part, you pay to get in. Is that also like your parking fee? 
and like your camping fee if you yeah, have a tent. So, I mean, it, it, that is generally your entrance fee to just get to it. If okay. you want to do some of the additional activities like camping, you know, there is often a fee. And of course, again, it always depends. And so what I would certainly recommend is anybody who's planning to go to a park, look at the park that you're interested in visiting because every park is going to be a little bit different. The okay. costs are going to be a little bit different um, for these kinds of things. I mean, generally camping is like, 15 to 25 or $30 a night, you know, either RV camping or tent camping on sites. Um, which is way cheaper than a hotel. Which is way cheaper than a hotel and also I mean, way cheaper. Some of the big parks have lodges, like like hotel basically, kind of a big fancy lodge. Um, uh, and some of those are way expensive. This oh, is okay. not for the like, you know, it's like $500 a night kind <gasps> of thing at peak season. I mean, wow. varying costs, varying seasons, you know, like every hotel, right? The nature of the room will make a, uh, a difference. We got a cabin when we went to um, Bryce Canyon, I think in Utah. So in 2016, which was as we know now from the last episode, the 100th anniversary of the Park Service, um, we went out, my wife and I went to Utah to hit the five big national parks out there and did glamping and did, um, <laughs> but we stayed at a cabin on the rim of one of the canyons, you know, I mean, not on the rim, but, but you know, next to the rim of a canyon. And so, you know, a cabin less expensive than a big fancy lodge, you know, and so there are a lot of different possibilities and again, like tent camping is would not be an expensive way at all to go visit um, a park. You know, again, especially if you have an annual pass and can just go into every park without having to pay any entrance fees. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if you were going to spend the summer doing that, you're right. It would be it would be in your financial best interest to right. to look at a larger scale. Right. Um, uh, okay. So Eric, I, Eric, I got to ask this question: of all the parks you've been to here in the United States. What was the one amenity that just blew your mind you, you, that you were like, even if you knew it existed, when you came across it, you were like, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, this is going to seem like such a lame answer. I mean, the thing that blows me away continually, continuously, continually is, is actually ranger programs. And that seems like such a lame answer to what, you oh, know, no, you're, no, you're, no, you're no, like I mean, setting that I mean, up for this glorious thing. Oh, the thousand foot so, waterfall. The, yeah, exactly. I mean, the herd of bison. The, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in terms of views, that's a whole separate, like, you know, like, you know, what's your favorite park is so hard to say, right? right? I mean, for me personally, I think the place that I most want to go back to because I was so amazed by what we did see and it was not much of it was on this trip in 99 um, was Glacier National Park. Um, it ah. was just one of the most beautiful places I have ever been in my life, probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. And I would love to go, you know, instead of spending a day there, like I'd love to spend a week there. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, in terms of like, what is the park service giving me? <laughs> I would say that the, the, um, the, you know, the amenity in that regard is, yeah, these ranger, the ranger programs are always incredible because they have just like infinite font knowledge, park ranger people, the interpretive rangers, um, you know, the two different kinds of park rangers. One is interpretive, one is law enforcement. So these are typically the, what they call interpretive rangers. Um, and then the, the, um, the thing that we get entertained by all the time are national park movies, <laughs> you know, because every park has its like, you know, first thing, go watch the movie, then maybe poke around the museum area, 
then like go out and see the part you know i mean that's sort of the oh, okay. in our pattern and they're they're just great i mean so like they vary so tremendously from like clearly this locally made little like intern had put together this <laughs> start movie you know and when you go you like sit in a room in the historic house and somebody comes in and hits play on the like dvd player on the tv <laughs> screen and then you go to like you know yellowstone and it's like this theater and it's this beautiful huge thing and it's yeah the, the, the one at yellowstone's like an it, imax experience it's, it's, right it's, it's produced ridiculous. by spielberg and it's got right, exactly. you know, effects and all that Here, stuff yeah. i mean i i went to that one and i was just like I hate to say this, Yellowstone's going to pale in comparison to the movie experience, right? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I almost felt like we, we, we got it wrong. We went to, the, because, you know, kind you of gone like, out to the park and then come back and seen the yeah, movie. Right? Exactly. I'm just, just, you know, because, you know, Eric, you know, kind of sort of like you, I mean, uh, quite obviously, I've not been to as many uh, national parks as you've been, but I mean, what you basically described is is what I and my friends have done, which is you know, we go there, we see the movie, okay, we go to the museum, we might sign up for, you know, one or two of the uh, interpretive, you know, you know, park ranger, you know, experiences, but then we go ahead and explore on our own, right? Right, right sure. Okay, but the one at, at Yellowstone, I was just like, wait a minute, <laughs> How is Yellowstone going to go ahead and compare to what we just experienced? This is America in a nutshell. That's the problem. Right? I was just like, multimedia experience. We did this wrong, right? Yeah. Can I just throw out that Soren at Disney World makes California seem fantastic? And I'm like, okay, be careful there. Be careful though, Disney. Because you're setting right. California up for a fall. Because I've been in traffic on the I-5, and I know it's not this fabulous. Like, but anyway. Yeah, you're not soaring down the I-5, right? Yeah, now. no, you're. Yeah, no. There's no orange blossoms bursting in your face on the I-5. There's, there's just tears of sadness that go on. But I do like the idea of like. So I've been to a few things where the Rangers have or the park service folk have really made the place come alive. Like mm -hmm. the way they storytell, a lot of times around monuments and stuff, they give you a lot of, of knowledge. And I've always been with, with um, student groups. When I was a kid, of course, that's what, we're going on a field trip, children. We're going to the fill in the blank monument thing where the poor guide has to deal with 30, fifth graders right who are all trying to look in different directions they're trying to keep them and they do keep there's a talent that comes in that in keeping people interested and being able to answer any question from any weirdo in the group that says what about aliens and you're like tell me about your question right so like they <laughs> exactly. they do an amazing job so i agree with you that 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 and that sort of um, sense of humor that I think they have to have with right. dealing with what I think of as us, the public, or <laughs> us, the unwashed mass, right? That like the very phrase I was going to say, the unwashed masses. <laughs> right, where we just sort of roll up in there all, you know, yeah, I'm going to camp and I've never even set fire to anything before it. I don't know how to cook food outside. And what is a bear? It's going to be great. Exactly. Yeah, what's well, a bear? Yeah, well, what do you mean I can't? What do you mean yeah. I can't cook bacon on this and just leave it overnight? Yeah, so <laughs> so all that kind of stuff. But my, I, I, 
I think sometimes people think that there's just camping. Right. And there's a lot more to the park systems, right? There's a lot more. There are guided tours. There's all kinds yeah, of stuff, right? Trail rides. I mean, like depending on where you are, there's all kinds of, you know, hiking obviously is a big one, backpacking. Um, but every every park has its set of amenities of all different kinds. You know, there's like swimming in some, not not typically swimming pools, but like actual just out like in the river, in the lake, you know, the like river. there's a water hole, like you can go there, <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. One of like, if, if you are interested in activity X, um, what I might recommend is go either to nps.gov, which is the National Park Service's site. And there's a, a link right on the homepage called find your park. And ah. in this search, you can select an amenity that is of interest to you and find parks that offer that. You know, if you're interested in astronomical programs, like you could say astronomy, like if you want to see living history, like check that one off and you can see what parks do that. There's also a brand new this year launched National Park Service app, which I believe is available on Android and iOS devices. Um, where you can do the same kind of search, right? And of course, because it's on your smartphone, you could be like, find park near me, boop, you know, and <laughs> it'll just tell you like how far you are from the nearest National Park Service units. Um, and you can save your list of preferred ones or that kind of thing too. So, but yeah, there's probably 30 or 40 different kind of, you know, amenities and activities that people could do in a park, depending on what you know, park or park unit they're interested in visiting. Um, so, you know, if, if you are sort of activity-based rather than location-based, you can definitely right. do a search by that. So. Oh, okay. So if you're willing to go to Montana, you can stare at the sky in some sort <laughs> of... Staring at sky is that, you know, <laughs> one of the well, amenities. I mean, it, it, so. it, and, you know, I, I've been to a couple where they've had horseback riding, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, and, and, you know, and for somebody who you know, spent a huge, you know, a, a significant number of years, you know, working on the family farm. Okay. I was just like, wow. So, you know, and, and you know, these were, you know, well-trained, you know, well-fed, okay, horses. Okay. And it was a great way to go ahead and, and, and see both of the parks. Right. I mean, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, you we... can take a burrow to the bottom of the Grand Canyon if, Absolutely. If you long to do such a thing, you could hike down if you would like to, but take the burrow down. Or you can take uh, the burrow down and hike uh, back up if you realize that's not something you enjoyed the going, the going down. <laughs> it's like, um, um, <laughs> yeah, when we went to Denali a couple years ago in Alaska, and one of the programs there was actually about dog sled training. Like, I mean, they sort of showed how they're, <laughs> because when it's winter, that is actually how the park rangers go out into the park is they'll just take dog sleds. You oh, know, okay. And now, because a lot of times, of course, they're trying to not have like noisy snowmobile. You know, I feel like there's going to be a huge future in somebody creating a silent electric snowmobile because so many of these parks would be awesome to visit in winter if you could get there sort of without, you know, slogging through six feet of snow. But yeah. A lot of times the snowmobiles are, of course, a terrible, polluting, noisy, wildlife frightening things. And so, you know, now I'm sure it's out there. I mean, probably some listeners like, yeah, don't you know, we have this here and here. <laughs> so you know, that, I'm showing my eastern suburban roots by saying. <laughs> so. But there's a park for everybody. 
There is. Basically, there's a park for anything that you kind of want to go experience. And um, that's what I like about the park system is that I've only been to a few. I know you've been to thousands. Well, you can't have been to thousands because there's only 460 some. How many have you been to? Um, I I was afraid you're going to ask that. I think it's about 120. (laughs) So, okay. So you're a quarter in. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it may even be by now more approaching 150. And I had hoped to sort of retally it all because we have that passport book. And there's a a little like nonprofit group of nerds that are park stamp people. And so uh-huh. parkstamps.org is there is the website <laughs> for people. You know, these are like completion. Of course, there's an organization so, for of that. Course of, there course, is. of course, you know, there's, a, a, you, know, a, you know, applications for your smartphone. Yep. Okay. Yep, I mean, well, so. pictures or it didn't happen. I'm sure you have right, to take exactly. a picture next to wherever you're, you know. It's, but well, I, I, before we wrap up, there's something that you, you mentioned and, it, and it's tickling the back of my brain and I want to say it before we get too far away from. You said that the guy who basically was the head of the National Park Service was a, a salesman. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen Mather. And that Mr. Albright, his assistant, was an Uber marketer. When do we get Smokey the Bear? <laughs> is that kind of thing? <laughs> well, Smokey is uh, an interesting, actually, I'm like casting my mind back to my old days as an employee of the National Zoo, which I was in high school. It was my, my summer job. Um, so actually speaking also of, of um, other places that I think the series will visit. The National Zoo. So Smokey yes, Bear, are. who was officially Smokey Bear, not Smokey the Bear. Oh, okay. Originally, um, was actually a Department of Forestry. Yes. You know, ah, kind yes. of um, marketing. You know, ultimately marketing kind of thing. Um, and Smokey Bear ended up at the National Zoo. And but what is funny is somewhere in their marketing decisions. They basically gave him a park ranger hat. I mean, yeah, that, that hat, they put the hat know, on it. So it feels like a national park thing, but he's actually a department he, of forestry thing <gasps> and saying, you know, only you can prevent forest fires. He's an so, imposter. So yeah, so yeah, exactly. He's and, not and a park to, ranger. I should correct slightly one of the things that you said. So the big marketer was the big guy, Stephen Mather. He was the marketing genius. His assistant was, uh, Horace Albright, was more the behind the scenes competent, like- Gotcha doer you know getter getter of things done you know manager type person. so i mean he was very successful at also <laughs> expanding the park service once he became director but well like, i mean yeah i mean albright at least uh according to some publications okay was the one who was um willing willing to work with congress okay right. uh whereas you know mather had the big ideas Okay, Albright was the one who was behind the scenes, you know, showing members of Congress, but also various presidential administrations, why developing the Park Service was good for the federal government. Right. Okay. Right. Ah. I mean, you know, even if one doesn't buy into the hyperbole of the PBS special. (laughs) um, It's beautiful wonderness. What was it? The the PBS special said it was like, you know, the one good thing that, you know, the U.S. um, has actually, U.S. government has actually done. I was just like, 
I wouldn't go that. I mean, that's, that seems a little, seems a little extreme. Yeah, I mean, that's a little extreme, right? Okay, but I mean, again, think about what kind of political chops you have to have if you're a Horace Albright, right? To go ahead and convince, okay, a federal government, particularly as we move into the uh, the 1930s, okay, to spend money. Right. on something that was not necessarily going to immediately address the Great Depression. Right? right. How do you look people in the eye and say we're spending money on something that's not food and shelter and whatever for people? And it's because we're saying we're looking into the future right. beyond when this will, because this will end. And yes. we want to have a country afterwards that's still has right. these special places and still has this one, one, this wealth of of beauty and and conservation mm-hmm. yeah one of the big things that he did right at the end of his terms or horace albright in 1933 was basically help facilitate this transfer of like 56 more national monuments and military sites like moving from the forest service and the war department to the national park service you know, and so that was, we sort of touched on that a little bit last episode, but this idea of consolidating sites managed by other departments, we touched on the beginning of this episode too, you know, into one, like that was a huge leap of sort of size of the park service and its portfolio was, you know, all these other sites managed by other departments, pulling that into the park service and sort of, again, bringing that all under that umbrella. And that was, that was Horace Albright's, you know, manager, and then he retired. <laughs> so. Well, and talk about setting the groundwork this is now a thing we just all accept is a good thing like aside from the issues that we have the tensions that we have in um in some of the parks with usage for uh commercial purposes there are very few people in the united states as far as i can tell who just say down with national parks we shouldn't have any of them fie upon the idea right it's a terrible idea why would you want to conserve things like that's So that battle has actually been won in the sense of there is this sort of acceptance, like when, like this, the, what did you say? Little bears? Oh, uh, bear ears. Bear ears. ears. Like that, that was controversial, right? That there wanted to be a a, a, um, sort of letting some of that be made smaller that says that the argument is that people assume the entrenchedness of the goodness of having a park and right. you have to tell me why you want to make it smaller right. not you know what i mean not why do, yeah, why the yeah. heck I do mean, you I want your every, silly park in the first place right right every park kind of has its its negotiation i mean again to sort of talk about Augie's, you know kind of <laughs> the world of political science right like you know, when it's being created, there's this big local conversation about it. And then like the rest of us are like, why wouldn't you have a park there? Like, that's great. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and of course, a lot cool. of people will resent that, right? Like this, like the local people who are, you know, want control will resent this sort of broad idea. But it is fascinating that that broad idea, I think you're right, is is out in the world now, right? Like, I mean, we generally are pretty positive about, you know, it's like being positive about NASA, you know, which is the only other good thing, I guess, the federal government has ever done so yeah. is, is put will, a helicopter on mars hello so, yeah. right like that's a pretty spiffy thing yeah yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah whoever yeah. said that was being a little dramatic i think yes I think so. but, <laughs> but but i like the idea that 
that these guys entrenched it in the American thought process that that's well yeah it's part of the psyche it's part of the culture right yeah yeah Yeah, those things are ours as a as a nation they we share them as a group and and i don't know if we were the first country to do it but we seem to be a leader in doing this sort of thing in sort of making these spots where we say no no we're going to keep this as pristine as we can yes or if it's not pristine we're going to clean it up because it needs to be better than right, it is so right. i think it's a positive thing it seems to me a positive thing but i, I like it <laughs> i want to ask a brass tax question are people going to parks they are interestingly like yeah i mean they, there was definitely a decline in 2020 like the the highest i think visit- <laughs> well people were afraid so, to go outside well, exactly i mean let exactly, alone to so. a park like i <laughs> I'm not going out my front door. I'm let alone going to Yellowstone. Right, right. Yeah, there were something on the order of 330 million park visits in like 2016, 2017. And that was down to about 237 million or not 237 million. Yeah, Um, visitations in 2020. Can I say that that's averaging one per person? It's yeah, it's pretty impressive actually. Because our our population is only three hundred thirty six million. <laughs> Officially. <laughs> Officially, uh, with the census, so that's pretty exactly. good. I mean, obviously, I didn't visit one at all, and you visit more than one. So terrible. Uh, you I'll, know. I'll, I got you covered. Thank you. <laughs> um, but so, do you think that now that things are sort of that people are going, oh, oh, I got to get yeah. out of this house, that they're like gonna that be is out clearly and happening. Is that there was like a lot of the parts of. A lot of parks closed, like closed, closed during sort of the early part of the pandemic, which of course was its own problem because there wasn't anybody to keep folks from going to them. Yeah, I was going to go ahead and mention, I recall reading the articles in -hmm. the newspaper about how um, because there wasn't staff at some of the parks, people were going to the parks, okay, and basically behaving Poorly. Behaving Joshua, horribly. Joshua Tree, right? Joshua Tree is the big one that people kept talking about. Yeah. A, yeah, a lot of I was doing donuts out in the desert and stuff. So, what is wrong with people? It, people are terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, individuals are not, but people in general are. Exactly. Yes. So, so they closed. Did they just close because? they were trying to limit proximity or that i mean of course cast your mind back you know i mean that that was really very much the concern was that okay. you know we just didn't know what groups yeah of we know yeah do. we didn't yeah we didn't want large groups of people showing up when we were still actually trying to figure out how covid was being transmitted right right, right. i mean right. And, and, and that was the issue right yeah part okay. of the um, challenge is that like a lot of these sites you know you could be outdoors, but if everybody's supposed to be on the trail, that means you're all in this like little narrow corridor. You're not all just dispersed evenly on hundreds of thousands oh, of acres. Oh, right. Because <laughs> it's a 700, you know. let's say it's a 5,000 acre park, but the trail is only 50 acres. That well, limits and, the and, number and, of people and who also are think, And also to. think too, Nia, one of the ways we have historically counted visitors is that they all have to go to the park entrance. Right. So, you know, that's part of the difficulty when you don't know how a virus spreads is that all these people who might want to use the park 
at some point are going to have to be at the metaphorical front door of the park. Right. right? right. In proximity right. to each other. Yeah. Yep. And, to, yeah. and to rangers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But now what we're seeing, of course, is that as, you know, sort of the realization that being outside is a good thing and, you know, that people can still do that kind of gather, visitation has spiked upward again. And so while their counts were down for the totality of 2020, like a lot of individual parks saw, you know, a drop and then a huge spike again towards the end of the year as people were starting to visit more. Um, and in fact, several parks still made record, like they had record years in terms of attendance. Um, and the, the most visited park, I'm pleased to say, the most visited park unit, I'm pleased to say as a Virginian, was the Blue Ridge Parkway had 14.1 million people in 2020 and of course that's easy because you're out on this parkway it's driving right drive, like, right and the, uh, that's the reason why the great smoky mountains national park um in north carolina tennessee border has historically like since 1944 been the most visited park in the country because that is you know people can just drive and see some of it and i always wonder i mean that's actually people will hate me if they're associated with that park at all i just wonder if that like is that counting highways that cut through it and that's just a visit because you've driven past i mean i don't actually know that to be true I yeah that's a good question yeah it's more I mean, than is, that yeah right. uh yeah. and for those of you who uh like to uh uh look at the change of leaf color in the fall yeah. okay uh the parkway um um is just uh, uh absolutely gorgeous and, and by the way um, you ought to take a look at the history of the building of that parkway because it is utterly fascinating. Totally okay? fascinating. I was going to say the same thing, actually. So. Oh, yes. Wait, is that something yeah. you'd be willing to come back and talk to us about on a future episode? Sure, yeah, I'd be delighted. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Mia, the politics behind that, oh, good <laughs> Lord. Like booting, you know, people who had lived on the mountains for generations out of off their land to build this, you know, scenic parkway. Same with the Shenandoah National Park, you know, similar uh, challenges. So yeah, yeah, it's totally, totally well, and, and I'm assuming eminent domain plays a part in, in a lot of things like building a pipelines and doing things like that. But also if you're at the edge of one of these national parks, when they decide to create the national park, you may very well be caught up in something like that. I mean, right. we've, we've seen that that's been the case in this federal government's like hey it's really nice that you like this view but so do a lot of other people so we're gonna have to move you along like right. uh, we've decided no, no, i live here no you don't not anymore um, right. exactly but, 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 but that's for another that's, that's for another, another episode, episode. Yeah. so yeah. we will yeah, we will talk sure. about that because that's really interesting so final thoughts about the parks i mean my big thought is always you know, go visit because they are our parks. You know, this is something that we all have kind of a role in helping to create and sustain. It is, it is heritage, meaning something handed down from the past to the future. It's natural heritage. It's historic and cultural heritage. You know, it is, you know, the, the classic Wallace Stegner expression that it's America's best idea. Um, his phrasing was the best idea America ever had. Um, you know, I think, again, hyperbolic, but does capture some of, of the real sense of it. And 
one of the big reasons I think too is as Nia you touched on is to say that there is a park for everybody. Um, you know, just whatever your interest may be, you are extremely likely to find yourself fulfilled visiting some national park. Well, I have big news. I am going to Acadia Park in this in September. Yeah, I've never been my sister's favorite park. <laughs> and I will get a stamp because I will go get a passport um, so that I have one. Oh, that's going to be great. That. But yeah. I'm excited to go. And apparently that is a beautiful time of year to be in Maine. I was just going to say fall um, in New England. I mean, how much so, worse could it be? So, <laughs> seems like so, a nightmare. So exciting no, for me. But I'm taking to heart this idea of going because I've never been and I've heard of it and want to see it and you know um, but I like the idea of what you're talking about with the sort of common good that it's a that it's ours in a very um, purposeful way mm -hmm. right it's yeah. it, a the lot of things are ours because they're mistakes that we have to <laughs> carry on from generation to generation. And fortunately, this is one of those good things that we get to carry on from generation to generation. Absolutely. So cool. Thank you so much for visiting with us. And um, we will bring you back for a, an episode about the Blue Ridge Parkway because I'm fascinated by that. Would love to help out. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We enjoyed it, Eric. We enjoyed it. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.